We started by talking about the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man in our coming to faith uh, in Christ. And then we have been, we, we started on the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man in regard to our growth in Christ. Uh, huge topic that uh, we all struggle with. And we've had some ins and outs and turns. But I want us to turn to Colossians 3. If you're, if you're a man, you may have read uh, the men's newsletter that touches on Colossians 3. Or if you're a woman, you may have read the men's newsletter. <laughs> but I think Colossians 3 deals with so many uh, critical issues in sanctification. Sovereignty of God, responsibility of man, our new position in Christ, our new life in Christ, so many themes. And what's so important about it as well is its place in this short letter, because basically the first two chapters of Colossians are about what God's done to save us, and the second two chapters are what we're to be doing in obedience to God. So it's on the cusp of both of those things. Here's God's salvation. Here's what you must do in light of that salvation. So the sovereignty of God, responsibility of man uh, pivots right here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. It doesn't mean that there have been no commands up to this point, but most every commentator will tell you that's the basic divide. Just like if you go to Ephesians, the first three chapters are basically doctrine, what God has done for us, and the next three chapters are, therefore, how do we obey God in the light of what He's done for us. And Ephesians and Colossians are sister uh, letters written at the same time from prison, and uh, they, they follow... Uh, similar orders. Ephesians focuses primarily on the church. Colossians focuses more directly on Jesus Christ himself. Um, So, as we uh, dive into this, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious salvation that is revealed to us in Christ. We thank you for how you rescue us. You rescue us thoroughly You rescue us truly. Uh, You don't simply rescue us from your wrath and final punishment, but you rescue us from sin itself. Your name will be called Jesus because you will save your people from their sin, every aspect of sin. Lord, we thank you that we are saved first from the penalty of sin even now. You are progressively saving us from the power of sin And finally, one day, you'll save us all together from the presence of sin in our lives and in this world. This is what you did. This is the result of your death, Lord, that you would reconcile all things to yourself. We thank you that we are caught up into that purpose. We thank you that your salvation has begun its rescue mission in our lives. And we thank you that it will progress And what you began, you will finish. Lord, give us hope. Give us energy. Give us faith. Give us, therefore, Lord, uh, courage and diligence 
and persistence and endurance when the struggle seems sometimes absolutely impossible that we would make any progress in our sin. Continue to enable us, Lord, to trust you and to believe in your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let's back up in Colossians and just read one of the comprehensive statements about Christ's work on the cross, beginning with chapter 1, verse 21, if you'll turn there. Well, let's actually, I want to read verses 19, starting with verse 19. In him, that is Christ, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace or shalom uh, by the blood of his cross. So you see the... uh, cosmic scope of the cross, right? It has no limit as to what that reconciliation will bring about. Uh, The sister passage in Ephesians says that he will unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That's Ephesians 1.11. So you see, one of them says, all things will be united in Christ, whether heaven and earth. This one says... Everything will be reconciled, whether heaven and earth. He will bring all things into shalom. See, Paul's basically saying the same thing in both of those passages. And it's so important for us to realize that's what I'm a part, I'm part of. I'm part of this whole cosmic work that Jesus is doing. I'm caught up in it. And if... If that power is going to reconcile all things eventually, unite all things in Christ, what is it to be caught up in that power? See, what is it for that power to have hold of my life? Uh, even as Paul talks about this going on in Ephesians 1, he says, uh, we've been raised up with him. Similar language here. That's why I'm bringing it up. Show the sister relationship. But he says uh, he is... He says, I want you to know the greatness of the power that is now toward you. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. So he wants us to understand this great power that took uh, a dead body and put it at the pinnacle of the the power of the universe. Uh, That power is now directed toward you. And you've been raised up with him and seated with him. Um, so these are other passages related to this passage, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, that give it more body and richness, if, if we can think about those as well. Um, but I want us to read now uh, Colossians uh, 3. Um, and there, th- th- this is one of those passages, I think, that you first read and you think, oh, that sounds so wonderful. What does it mean? You know, like, I don't know what that means. It sounds so good, but how does it translate into my life? Right. So the first part is an assumption. If then you have been raised with Christ, 
okay? So you've been raised with Christ. This is stated in Ephesians as well. You're so united with him that in his resurrection, there came about a resurrection in your life, okay? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, if you read on, things become clearer, but let's don't be clear yet. Let's ask questions. about. Um, what are some questions that come to mind when you, you read this? And, and why, why is it in some ways seem esoteric or... It, not, it doesn't translate into life. You're not, you're not sure what he's even talking about. What about it? Or maybe for y'all, you're not the same as me. You're not as stupid as me. But when I f- first read this years ago, I just, what, what in the world is he talking about? What are the things above? Yeah, what are the things above? No. Right, right. The things on earth. This is where we live. Now, what things are we thinking of above? Angels? The throne of God? Clouds? Wishing you had a magazine like Farside, you know, sitting on... <laughs> um, so, the things about so I'm not only to I'm to seek those things, I'm to set my mind on those things. Okay. Now, obviously, it's where Christ is seated at the right hand. So, you could translate that as seeking Christ, maybe. Right. You you know the things above are the things of Christ. Maybe that would be one thing. The things of Christ. Um, that was reminding me of Matthew, uh, seek first. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. So Matthew six thirty three, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. And then, and before that, he talks about your treasure being in heaven and not on earth, right? Um, so, yeah, the things of Christ, maybe the kingdom of God might come to mind. This is this is always a good way to yes sir. With the illustration of what Christ is seated at the right hand of God as an emphasis on the good work of Christ. Yes. Uh-huh. Things of Christ especially finished work. Excellent. Cuz he's what? Standing or seated? Seated. <laughs> yeah. There's that sense of an accomplishment, you know. It's, it's finished, it's done. It's, it's a complete work, completed work. Just now, just going to spill out and spin out until all things are finally united in Christ, right? That's why he can sit as it happens, because <laughs> it's for sure. He's ruler over all things in that regard. Um, all right, so... Uh, We're not to think on the things that are on earth, but the things that are in heaven. Um, 
And then, and then uh, he, verse 3, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So uh, it's, it's almost like this life, in one sense, is over. Okay? Because it says, you've died. Now, I, I said in a little newsletter, you know, when somebody wakes up, like Harry Potter wakes up in the last movie and he's not sure what happened and, you know, finds out from Dumbledore, you just died, you know. <laughs> or you've seen that in movies a lot. You know, you wake up, you look around, and somebody has to tell you you're dead. All right? So makes it maybe a little more graphic that this is real. You have died. And now this life is dead, but now your life is hidden with Christ. With Christ in God. So you might say, here's Christ. His life is in God. You are with Christ and your life is in God. See, that's how that phrase works. Your life is with Christ because you're united to Christ and His humanity is fully united to God and in God and has the life of God. Then your humanity is joined to that same life. So you have the life of God because you are in Christ. This life is over. This life of Darwin only. (laughs) Sinful, failing, corrupt, selfish, everything I am and always have been, that life's over. I'm dead to that. There's been this, what, I call it spiritual, there's spiritual geography here. It's not only, I'm not the person I used to be, I'm not where I used to be, right? I'm not where I used to be. I'm not, I'm not just this person in this life, in this world, under these influences, under this dominion of sin, belonging to Satan and following Satan. I'm not in that world anymore. I'm in a different world. My life is here with Christ at the right hand of God. That's a place of incredible authority, isn't it? You know, incredible strength and capacity because my life is in God. And then he turns it around doesn't he? When he says in the next verse, when Christ, who is your life? So this life in God means Christ is my life. Doesn't mean, so I, I live by a new presence of Christ in my life. And, and if you fill it out with the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit that is now present in my life. Uh, renewing me and enabling me to study my own life and see my own sin and come to grips with it and to begin to change and to ask and to trust God for forgiveness and, you know, make progress because the life of the Spirit who hates sin and loves righteousness and now indwells me in this, taking my life up. Uh, My life is hidden with Christ in God. Yes, yes. And uh, Psalm 16, 11. Ah. Because not only does it say when we are with him, we'll be full of 
joy and will have pleasures evermore. It doesn't leave us alone on this one, because before that it says, you make known to me the path of life, and that life is to that, but it's carrying us now to that path, and that's why part of this is on Oh, mm, yeah. So it makes me smile. It connects me and my pathway now and to him and his, his uh, presence with Anyway, I love, I love well, that's a that's a a really good point, and I hadn't even thought about that. In that, uh, when you think of the well, <laughs> you think of our own mission statement: nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people. So, uh, one aspect of our being present with Him and and having, as uh, was said about the finished work of Christ, the finished work of Christ means there's favor with God, right? There's, uh, there's acceptance. There's uh, freedom from judgment. <clears throat> there's goodness that flows toward me, etc. Well, the, these are the things. You, you can't really picture yourself in the presence of God, joined to Christ, having the same favor that Christ has, being hidden with Christ in God, having the same embrace that Christ has without joy. Yeah, you just can't. There is fullness of joy at your right hand, for, uh, in your presence, at your right hand forever. Um, so, yeah, that's a beautiful aspect of this. But isn't it interesting that before Paul says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, or wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, slaves, masters, all of these things. This is what he says. He, he, he knows that, first of all, you've got to know where you are and who you are. You've got to know what God has done in you and for you. You've got to know that this life is over and now your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is in God. Christ's life is in you. Now these commands have some kind of context, right? Now these commands come with hope, which is the critical thing for us. I have to have hope because when I hear, you know, the commands, uh, I tend to get hopeless uh, in the light of it because I know how poorly I obey, you know. Exactly. Those commands come with empowerment. So, uh, Augustine's great statement, command what you will and give what you command. Uh, that, you know, command anything. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. The sky's the limit. You're God. Just, just command me. But then give what you command. And that's why you've heard me say many times, uh, the demands of God or the, the demands of the law, the commands of God, are really your destiny now in Christ. Uh, because he says, he'll, I will cause you to walk in my ways in the promise of the new covenant. So that everything he tells us to do, he says, you can do this because your old life is over and your old weakness and the dominion of sin is gone and you have a new life in you and, and that is Christ Jesus. So that he can actually say in, in Romans uh, 6, that glorious statement, you have to consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. 
You, that's uh, Romans 6.11. Just another of the many ways he says it, right? You have to consider yourself. You have to believe and count on it and know that it is true that you are ultimately dead to sin. doesn't mean, I mean, every day proves otherwise, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm dead to sin. Uh, I, imagine my telling my wife that one day. Honey, I'm completely dead to sin. You know, no, honey, you're not. <laughs> you know? So we, we know that there's a, dis, there, there's a distance between the ideal and the reality. But this ideal is not a fake statement. It's a real statement. And... Paul says you've got to consider yourself dead so that you can make progress or you will be, uh, you, you will not believe in that progress. You will not throw yourself with hope into that progress. Uh, you will not count on and believe in the power of God in, in that progress. Um, so it is always astounding to me how much time Paul spends and we'd say God spends uh, telling us where, what God has done for us, where he has moved us, how he has remade us, so that we have this context now for, for new obedience. Right. Yeah. Can you help us understand, you already kind of alluded to it, just the disconnect, because it's easy to hear those passages and you go, well, then why am I still sinning? And then you start, you could be tempted to question your own salvation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, The question is how do you keep from thinking that you're not a Christian when you're supposed to be dead to sin, but you're not dead to sin? Like the reality, it, it says you're dead to sin, but you don't see yourself as dead to sin. And I would. I, will, I look at this as a promise to be believed. And like every aspect of our obedience, we just have to see that I'm on this progressive uh, treadmill. Sometimes it's a treadmill. But uh, I'm on, on this progressive thing of becoming more and more like Christ and less and less uh, uh, given to sin. And I hold before me... I, well, you've heard me use this illustration, but like a, uh, an orphan that's been taken from Russia, right? Orphans now in uh, uh, America. And I've heard some people say that when their child first was there, could be another orphanage somewhere or a, a children's home from another place. And say it was a children's home where things were really severe for the child and there was a limited amount of food, okay? And have parents say, yeah, the first few nights uh, we had food on the table and that boy was putting food in his pockets, you know, because he knew that if I don't get this food now, I won't have it tomorrow. You know, he just knew that. Well, he didn't realize that that life is over. (laughs) Now your life is hidden in a new place with lots of food, but you're still living down here. And I think... There's some, some of that in our lives that we, uh, we're the whole of our lives, we are learning to live out this new life that we have in Christ. But we won't live it perfectly. Uh, just like I can say, 
you can ask me, Darwin, don't you trust that God loves you? And I'll say, yes, I do. But I don't completely trust that God loves me or I would quit sinning altogether. I never would be tempted by anything because I would know just emphatically that is bad for me. It will hurt me. It's against this God who loves me. I've completely entrusted myself to this God because I love him so I know he loves me perfectly. I, I doubt his love. We all doubt his love. The day you know his love perfectly is the day you live perfectly, which will be when Jesus comes again. So everything is in process, uh, but it doesn't make it not true. What, what really is true about this is I am not helpless against sin anymore, all right? You're like, you, you've died to sin. At one point, you couldn't do anything but sin. You couldn't do anything but live for yourself. You couldn't do anything. You had no love of God, no trust in God. That has changed. You've been set free from that life that was completely opposed to God. You're not completely opposed to God anymore. You've been set on a new path. You're not that dead person to God. At times you feel like you're dead. You know, At times you feel the same as you always were, perhaps. But you're not what you were. You're not at all what you were. I mean, I, I look at myself, well, yeah, <laughs> the changes that continue in my life, um, and that yet I have just so, so far, far to go. Does that help at all? Okay. Yes. I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hint, hint. I love that. That is really cute. So submissive, too, right? Or not? Yeah, I think we may have drawn this. I know I've drawn this before. But I used to think that. Huh? I know. It's supposed. It's supposed. Here, I'll use this one. Um. So. Purple Heart. Ben would love that. Um, I used to regard uh, this. This is water, okay. <laughs> and I used to regard uh, my heart as the same kind of evil heart that it always was. Okay, that 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 defines me. I'm this evil person. I'm a I'm a believer, and Christ is in my life. But when you just look at me. I'm an evil person. Now, there's some truth to that because Paul says, uh, in, our, in me, that is my flesh, there dwells no good thing. But what does he mean by that? <clears throat> um, so this, this uh, really, my life began to change about this years ago when I read something in Larry Crabb. And this was uh, John 7, 38, 39, where... He's speaking of the Holy Spirit, and he says, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And Crabb made the point that uh, now there is something good in your heart. And that was just a stunning thing for me. You know, no, I can't, I can't say that. There's nothing good in my heart. No, if the Holy Spirit is in your heart, then there is something good that's flowing from the inside out. And if it's not, then it's all superficial. 
That's what struck me as well. He's doing a real work of changing me so that in my innermost being, different things are coming out, not just superficially. So I used to kind of think of the Holy Spirit as floating on top of my life while this evil thing is down here unchanged, always the same and always will be the same until finally it's changed. But no, uh, he, he must be dwelling in my innermost being. He must have set up shop of his temple in the deepest parts of my life, or it's a superficial work, you know. It's a real work. It's a real work in my heart of hearts. And that is so encouraging that I could have new motivations. I can have new desires. The things I hate, I may not continue to hate them because he's working in my innermost being, you know. That is, that's the most encouraging thing in the world because... If you're like me, you're always running into the brick wall, the limits, particularly of love, you know, just bam, you know, and your, your head, it's like walking into the glass wall and, you know, I I do something mean to Kay and bam, I hit it again. I'm an idiot. I'm, why was I mean to her? Why did I, why was I short with her? Why did I do that? What is wrong with me? You know, hitting the limits of my love, but Thankfully, God is at work in me to make me a kinder, gentler, more gracious, more humble person from the heart, you know, not just some kind of outward show. So, Jeremiah 17, 9, the hearts of his people go back and see one kid. Can we say that that's not really true for the Christian? Not any, yeah. It, it, it's beyond cure as to humanity's weakness. It's not beyond Jesus' cure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in myself. Like, a leper can't change his spots, you know, for sure. Jesus can change the spots, though. I can't change my skin color. He can change my skin color, yeah. It's a great, great statement. And I I think faith is, uh, I always call it helpless dependence. There has to be that sense of absolute helplessness. But there must be also dependence that brings expectancy. So I think helplessness that ends in expectancy, that's the makeup of faith. Many times we're not even at the helpless stage, you know. I can do it, I've got this or that or whatever. We don't want to hear about our sin and, and we don't think God is big enough to account for our sin. So helplessness is a huge issue. But then I, I find just as much in our lives, once you're convinced of your helplessness, are you expecting God to do great things in your life, even as helpless and, you know, wrecked as you are? Um, you use the word faith, and hope is a very important word, isn't it? Um, I was looking at Romans 8 there, but faith is the subject of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Then in Romans here, it says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Hmm. So we are saved by hope. Um, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what is it? What does a man see it and do not yet hope for? But what? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we wait with patience for it? Yeah. That. Um. That, that's one of the greatest passages, 24 and 25, one of the greatest passages about hope, yeah. Uh, 
that everything is directed, that whole chapter is directed toward hope. And this is the tail end of his 18 through 23 talking about new creation. So he builds the hope of new creation uh, and the final redemption of our bodies, as you read, um, final resurrection. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. But the sovereignty of God in our life. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, before, I'm going to have to end a little earlier this morning, but um, I want you to notice, though, uh, some definitions of what are the things above and the things that are on earth. So, set our minds on the things above, uh, seek the things that are above, don't seek the things that are on earth. And in verse 5, we get in some definitions. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it's a way of speaking of worldliness and of all that is against God, to call it earthly. Usually, you'll see the term of the world, right? The world is not creation. The world is the whole world that is opposed to God. So he defines what is earthly. This defines what he says in verse 2, the things that are on earth, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says in verse 3, you have died. But then he says in verse 5, put to death those things. So you think if you've died, you wouldn't have to put it to death, but you do. (laughs) Because you've died you can now put it to death because you are not dominated by that. The way I think of it is uh, like like an octopus tentacles. These tentacles were alive and well, and they were operating every part of your life, and they controlled you, okay? And then in salvation, Jesus comes and he smashes the heart of those tentacles, the power source of those tentacles. And now... They're there, but they're broken up. They're, they're in pieces. But now you can start getting rid of, get rid of them. You couldn't before because they were controlling you. They were governing you. But now you've been broken free from that dominion. And now you can start removing the pieces of sin. You can start putting sin to death. Why? Because you have died. See? So it helps maybe the analogy to see there's this uh, uh, severance, this once and for all death that then creates a new atmosphere in which I can put things to death in my life, these things. And then later, the things uh, that are above where Christ is, if that you put those to death and put them all away, verse 8, you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And notice, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. There are the things of Christ at the right hand, right? Those are the things uh, where Christ is. Those are the things above. So really, things turns out to be character, right? The things above are humility and love and patience and forgiveness. The things below, sexual immorality. You've died to that world. 
You can put those to death. Now you have this new life that is hidden in, with Christ in God. Christ is your life. So now you have a new capacity to put these things on in your life and, and bear them uh, toward others. So for, for me, uh, uh, it's, it's why Paul can call the whole of his uh, Christian life uh, in, in T- Timothy let me read it to you. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Okay? So the fight is one of belief. The fight is that of faith. Um, Hebrews is all about that. You must continue to believe. You must continue uh, to to uh, confess and have hope in his salvation, um, even in the midst of persecution, you know he he sets it before us. So I think in sanctification you can't say too much about the role of faith and hope, because you and I have to be set free in our renewed selves to throw the whole of our renewed energy into putting sin to death and putting on this new life. And none of this is to keep you from full engagement as though you're wondering, I don't know if I'm doing this or if God's doing this. Am I getting in his way? Am I letting God live his life through me, etc.? You think of yourself as this renewed being that has been taken from one place and put in another where the power of sin has been uh, officially broken so that I can live this new life and therefore you just hurl yourself into it every day with it, with a band, you know with no abandon with utter abandon I mean um, to uh, seek to change to th- seek to think differently to seek to feel differently and when you feel things that are wrong to bring them before God and to Say, Lord, change me from the inside out. Continue to renew me. Um, Sometimes you have to do the right thing before you feel the right thing, right? But you just do it because you're not going to let your feelings be an idol. But you continue to do as you pray, Lord, make my innards connect with my outards, you know, (laughs) make, make what's, make what I need to be from the inside out. Because uh, Kay doesn't need me to go through the motions and just do the right things for her. She needs me to be joyous with her, right? She needs me to be energetic. She needs me to smile when she enters the room. She needs my full uh, humanity given to her. And I need hers given to me, you know. We don't need to be outward with each other because that doesn't do anything. Um, so, uh, any... Final comments or questions? I hope I haven't confused everybody <laughs> for giving you a little hope. Yeah. Uh, there's a seems like a, a balance there. We're, we're putting sin to death throughout sanctification. But at the same time, our awareness of our depravity is also increasing throughout sanctification. Yes. So it's this kind of helpless, we're growing in our kind of helpless kind of dependency, uh, but at the same time, putting to death. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I used early on, you know, I thought I'm going to get to that point one day where it's going to 
kind of glide and I'll be easy and I'll have all these things. And uh, it, it, it really feels more like this to me that you're climbing this mountain and it really gets steeper and steeper the more you go. Really. It really does. And that's a good analogy to think I've got to depend more and more and more and more on the grace of God because I realize more and more how stiff this is, how upward it is, how difficult it is to really manifest the beauty of God in my life. Pray what? Oh, the end. Yes. Uh huh. That's why the emphasis on endurance. It's amazing how much emphasis on endurance, how hard it is to finish well, you know. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Encouragement, that's the word, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Peter in chapter 1, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in Christ Jesus. Or at the end of the resurrection chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 15. After hearing about this resurrection and what's going to happen and how we're going to enter into this uh, new life, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. You know, I just love that. It ain't in vain. It, there's a, a glorious ending that's coming, and you, we must have that hope of the final. Uh, the New Testament is incredible in how much it talks about the resurrection and uh, new creation. Yes, sir? Um, what speaks to me most is the walk of my faith, not by sight. Because you see through your He will complete it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I th- that brings to mind both of what you all have said is that statement of uh, Paul where he says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. You know, There's our hope. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the extent of his suffering, the darkness and confusion he was under, the sense of lost purpose, you know, and vanity of life as reflected in another passage and uh, all of this crashed in upon our Lord and he feels the utter curse and pain of life uh, to the maximum. And 
identifies with us as we struggle. He's merciful in your struggle, okay? He's merciful in your struggle. He's not, you know. I think sometimes we think he's like that game where you're knocking down the uh, prairie dogs that pop up, you know. Every little thing you do wrong, bam, 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 bam. He's merciful. He's, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the great work that you have accomplished in Christ Jesus to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord, thank you that we are safe in him, that he has become our shelter and refuge, that we are indeed at his right hand already uh, with Jesus, where there are joys, where there is favor, where there is uh, acceptance, where there is uh, delight and praise. And Lord, out of that context, out of this new life, uh, we, by your grace, can make progress against our sin and make progress to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, we thank you that you, you have purpose that we would be set free from sin. You've died for it. You're raised for it. You rule the world for it. You indwell us for it. And so, Lord, you will continue that great work in our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.